things you need to eat, sleep, drink water, brush your teeth, and save for retirement. Just do it. A lot of people need to save more than the common knowledge. So you have to implement things so that you start to pay yourself first. You know, do that saving for retirement before you start to see your lifestyle creep up a little bit. And who knows what future taxes will look like. You know, yeah, every time very unpredictable. Every time we get a new president, they change taxes around. So you can expect every four to eight years, taxes will fluctuate. You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, here we are, episode number three of the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast. I'm Corey Janoff. I'm joined, as always, by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello, everyone. And today, we have a great topic. We're going to talk about retirement saving strategies for doctors. We'll address the different stages of your career um, and what you should be doing from a retirement savings standpoint. And really, this could be a very short episode. We could just go <laughs> steal Nike's slogan and say, just do it and call it a day. You know, Just do it. Save for retirement. No excuses. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just do it. Just save for retirement. Treat it like your, your basic necessities. You need to eat, sleep, drink water, brush your teeth, and save for retirement. And, uh, and you know, establish a daily habit of doing that, and you'll, you'll live a happy, healthy life. So treat retirement savings like every other thing that you do that's mandatory to, to keep yourself alive, and uh, your future self will thank you for it. But we'll we'll maybe elaborate a little bit more um, than that here. Uh, unless Get a little bit just, of the how, maybe. Yeah, unless you want to just call it a day. And, and episode done, one minute. No, we have more to talk about. I think one thing that's important for our clients is that like when you Google online how much you should save for retirement and things like that, you get very generic advice, and it can't always be generic advice that you're applying to your own situation. A lot of people need to save more than the common knowledge. You might be told, save 10% for your retirement, save 15% for retirement. And the truth is, especially with physicians who have very extended training periods, they're not saving a lot while they're doing that, and they still want to retire at a reasonable age, so you just have to save more to play catch-up. Something more like 20% is probably appropriate. Yeah, and I think that everyone's situation is different is key. I mean, with physicians, they're obviously getting a late start mm-hmm. than most people who are hopefully saving when they start right. their careers. But um uh, you know, you also have to look at when you want to finish, and mm-hmm. your goals might be different than someone else's. You may have a desire to to be completely done working by age fifty five, whereas someone else might want to work until they're seventy. Someone else might want to work full time until they're sixty, and then scale back to part time for the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. So everyone's situation is different. You have to look at your specific circumstances, but that that twenty percent guideline. I think is a good one, a good place to start at least mm-hmm. you know, for the, the average physician uh, starting their, their real careers in their <laughs> early to mid-30s 
and uh, you know the average person wants to retire between 60 and 65 you know having a, a roughly a 30-year timeline to, to work and save for retirement as a doctor that if you save 20% of your income that should put you on a pretty good track to be able to to retire and live a, a, a similar lifestyle to the lifestyle you were living when you were working no guarantees of course but that's ultimately the goal be able to maintain that lifestyle throughout your retirement years Mm-hmm. And I think doing that, saving 20% of your income, also gets you used to living on a little bit less. And I think that's one of the important things we've talked about here on this podcast before, even though we're just in episode three. Mm-hmm. But that lifestyle inflation, when you do start to make more money, is very real. There's a lot of people that think, well, I'm going to just stay living like a resident, even as an attending, and I'm going to make all these things happen. But it's pretty difficult to do. So you have to implement things so that you start to pay yourself first. You know, do that saving for retirement before you start to see your lifestyle creep up a little bit. Yeah, paying yourself first is big. Treat your retirement savings like any other bill. You have to pay your water bill, your electric bill, your gas bill, your cell phone bill, your your rent or your mortgage. You know, it's just it's a habit. You do it because that's what you're supposed to do. We'll do the same with retirement. Treat it like a bill. Set whatever your your required amount is, and and then pay that before you do anything else. Um, discretionary with your life, like fun or travel. Um, easier said than done, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. but uh, that, that's a good uh, habit to start with. <clears throat> Don't inflate your lifestyle to that doctor lifestyle, quote unquote, that you mm-hmm. often hear uh, uh, referred to, and especially in training, don't don't live that doctor lifestyle before you're even a real doctor yet. I know you might have the credentials officially once you uh, graduate med school, but um, you, you can't live like an attending when your income is a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. And then even as attendings, you, you can't live like the typical attending might live and, and drive the nice cars and go on the nice vacations and eat the nice dinners and um, and still manage to accomplish all of your financial goals. So we have to make some sacrifices. You don't have to be a you know a complete miser and living under a rock <laughs> uh, but you know finding a balance between fun and uh, financial goals is the key yeah and I think one thing that's important to say with residents is that it may not be doable as a resident to save 20% of your income and at that stage of your career there's some things that we want to focus in on to make sure that we're at least doing something and if you can hit that 20% goal, then more power to you. Like, yeah. that is absolutely amazing. We do see people in training making that happen. But at a minimum, if your employer offers any sort of matching in your employer retirement plan, that's definitely something that you want to take advantage of because that's free money. Even if you have $10,000 in credit card that's accruing 20% interest, if you're contributing 3% of your income into a retirement plan and then your employer is matching 3%, that's basically a 100% rate of return. You yeah. can't get that anywhere else. And 100% rate of return is more than the 20% interest you're probably paying card. on your credit card. Yes. So that's probably the one exception where it does make sense to to you know invest or do something else with your money other than paying down that credit card debt. Yeah. And speaking of credit card debt, if you do have it in, <laughs> as a resident um, or attending or any stage in your career, and we sympathize with you, we understand that circumstances happen and, and sometimes we, we've got to find a way to, to, to make payments on things um, that were unexpected. But 
for for all of you residents out there that are listening, a, a typical resident salary is equivalent to the median household income in America. So you are like average, right in the middle of the road in terms of earnings capacity. And and most residents, I would say that we talk to are are, are single or at, least, at the very least don't have kids. Some do, you know. There's mm-hmm. definitely yeah. families um, in residency, but I would say the majority don't have those responsibilities. It's mostly just caring for yourself at this stage. So if you know, we've got to find a way to to make ends meet on that income and, and keep that credit card debt to a minimum. Now you know we may not be living the most extravagant lifestyle, um, but you know, we should be able to live within our means, even with you know student loan payments on an income driven payment plan. So um, you know, there, there, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but let, let's minimize the excuses on why we have credit card <laughs> debt. If you're in residency, keep those credit cards down, and if you can, put a couple bucks away into a retirement account. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. And the other thing that we hear people talk about a lot in training is Roth IRAs. Like everyone hears about Roth IRAs, like they're this magical thing that you should be doing while you're in training. They are pretty magical. They are pretty amazing. (laughs) And the cool thing about Roth IRAs is that you put money away in an account that you've already paid taxes on. So it's money from your checking account. And you don't ever have to pay taxes on that money again as long as you use it for qualified withdrawals in retirement. So... That's awesome. If you can pay taxes as a resident at your resident tax bracket, and then you get to retirement and you can withdraw that money without having to pay taxes again, that's definitely an advantage. So after that free matching in an employer plan, that's generally where we direct like excess retirement savings dollars to go towards. Like That's the next best option. Mm-hmm. You might not get a free 100% rate of return, but there's a lot of tax advantages there. Yeah, and, and who knows what future taxes will look like. You know, yeah, every time very unpredictable. Every time we get a new president, they change taxes around. So you can expect every four to eight years, taxes will fluctuate. But I would say for, for most doctors out there, it's a safe assumption that the income and lifestyle you're living on in residency is is less than the hopeful lifestyle you'll be living on in retirement. Now, the Mm -hmm. lifestyle and income you'll need to support yourself in retirement might be less than what you earn at your peak earnings level as an attending, but it's still probably going to be more than where you're at as a resident. So there's a good chance that the income need in retirement is greater than the income need in residency or just the income in residency Mm -hmm. uh, to support the lifestyle you want in retirement. And if your income need is higher, there's a good chance your tax bill will also be higher. Yeah. That's usually how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to make sure that you're looking at your long-term savings goals in conjunction with everything else that's going on in your plan too, though. like We do want people to save for retirement, but not at the cost of not paying down credit card debt. And not at the cost of completely draining your savings account. Like you need a little bit of a buffer. So once in a while, we just see people that are super gung-ho about saving for retirements and don't leave themselves any sort of insulation from from those risks. So that's one thing we just want to make sure people look at their plan as a whole Mm -hmm. before they actually just put every cent they have towards long-term savings. Yeah, it's all correlated and tied together. We want to look at the entire financial strategy and mm-hmm. all of our financial goals and potential risks and, and address all of them. Um, yeah. So as a resident, like save what you can. 
like make it happen and, and do whatever you can, but not at the, the risk of other things being neglected. Yeah. But I think yeah. for, for most residents out there, if you can um, keep your credit cards at zero, max out a Roth IRA every year, and uh, I think that's a great start. Um, and if you can put some money into an employer retirement plan or, you know, if your employer offers a match, which is rare amongst residents yeah. and programs, I would say that's the, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it, you know, we'll see it from time to time, but it's, it's definitely not the norm. But if there is a match, take advantage of it. And then if you can also max out a Roth IRA, that's a fantastic start. And then no, once you become an attending, that's where you really have to to, to put kick your focus in, yeah, kick it into high gear um, when it comes to retirement savings and make sure you're saving, I would say, at least 20% of your income, uh, if not more, depending on what your retirement goals are. Mm-hmm. At that point, that's when you have to make up ground. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're playing catch up. You know, the typical guidelines or guidance you see online or in the news uh, when it comes to retirement savings, if you just Google retirement savings, uh, uh, advice. You know, you often come across a 10 to 15% number. It says save 10 to 15% of your income for retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that has a lot of assumptions built in that they don't really go in depth on. I think one of the big ones is they assume that most people start working and saving for retirement in their early to mid 20s, mm-hmm. and they plan to work until their mid to late 60s, 65, mm-hmm. 67. Yeah. Um, most physicians aren't actually working until they're as an attending until their early to mid 30s sometimes later depending on you know the the yeah. specialty and when you went into medical school i mean at the very earliest unless you're a child prodigy and graduated college at 16 <laughs> you know you're probably not finishing med school until you're around 26 years old mm-hmm. um so the like the earliest you're really going to be starting any retirement savings is your late 20s yeah um, and most doctors I mean, some people say they want to work forever, but realistically, after a 30-year career, you're, you're going to start to feel the wear and tear on your body, your mind, your, your just desire to yeah. still uh, serve people. Um, it wears on you. And, it's uh, a demanding job. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, it varies by specialty, but it's a lot of hours, and it's, yeah. I mean, I not everyone can work till 65. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, most doctors don't want to retire or don't want to be forced to work into their late 60s. And, and the average retirement age is in this country is 62. Two thirds of people are retired by 65. So, you know, the working past age 65 is uh, is not as common as you might think. Uh, most mm-hmm. people are done with work, whether it be by choice or, or forced into it due to number of factors, health related or, you know, age discrimination, you mm-hmm. know, however you want to look at it. But yeah. you, know, you may not be able to, to still do your job uh, in your late 60s, depending on um, um, you know, what's going on in your life. So when you have this 20% goal, obviously that's a much larger dollar amount that you need to be saving, especially as an attending. So usually we start by having people take advantage of any sort of tax-advantaged accounts. So mm-hmm. normally those are retirement plans that are set up by your employer or IRAs, for example, um, Roth IRAs are great because again they give you that tax-free money in retirement but at that point because you have to save so much more you're probably going to be maxing out those accounts so the maximum you can do into your employer plan per year at least in 2019 is nineteen thousand dollars as an employee and that's a great place to start is just maxing out those plans at work and that's the typical 401k 403b mm-hmm. um you know depending on the employer there may be some other plan like a sep or a simple that has different limits but most of you will have a 401k, 403b, that's 19000 you can put in. Um, 
plus you could do another six thousand this year to an IRA. And mm-hmm. you know, with Roth IRAs, you'll you'll probably be earn too high of an income to contribute directly to a Roth IRA, but there's still a way you can get money in. Um, if the if the stars align correctly, there's some um, exceptions <clears throat> where where it doesn't make sense to do this, depending on what other accounts you have. But um, and we won't go too in depth into backdoor Roth IRAs this time, but know that we we potentially can still get money into a Roth IRA each year. Yeah, just make sure you talk to someone about it, like a financial advisor or a CPA or something like that, if you are trying to fund a Roth IRA indirectly, because it can get a little bit complicated, and you want to make sure you're doing it right so yeah. you don't get in trouble with the tax gods. But mm-hmm. well, really, if you're an attorney, really anyone should probably double check cause if you're if you're if you're married or and or an attending, um, and you're funding a Roth IRA, definitely talk to a tax professional or a financial advisor because there's a bunch of different uh, tripwires that can mess you mm-hmm. up along the way if you earn above the income level or if your spouse, if you file jointly and your spouse earns above the income level or if you guys file taxes separately, then you can't do a Roth IRA at all. Yeah. So that's the backdoor Roth IRA comes into play, but you also have to make sure you follow certain steps to do it correctly so you're not uh, getting, just so you don't get in trouble with the tax man. Yeah. But anyway, so Qualified retirement plans, IRAs, there's 25000 potentially that most people can do. Some employers, depending on the employer, will have additional qualified um, you know, retirement plans, like maybe a 401A or a 457 that right. they offer. So depending on what the employer offers, definitely worth taking a look at those and considering them if they have tax benefits associated with them. Uh, we're big fans of getting tax benefits, yep. um, as most people are, so let's try and take advantage of all the tax benefits that make sense to take advantage of. And yeah, and I guess we should probably mention like what those tax benefits are. Like Even for the non-Roth yeah. accounts, like the pre-tax accounts, when you contribute to those accounts, you get a tax deduction. So you're paying mm-hmm. less income tax that year. The So for easy math, let's yeah. say you make this year and you put $19,000 into your 401k at work Mm pre-tax, you're only going to be taxed on $181,000 this year. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like Trump has given you a high five for saving for retirement. (laughs) Nice government we have. Yep. And then you also get tax deferred growth in any of those qualified plans, which just means that when your investments you well when you see growth and you between when you buy and you sell an investment you're not taxed on any of that so with those pre-tax retirement plans where you get to take that tax deductions you will have to pay ordinary income taxes when you go to retire so the, when you pull the money out when you pull the yes yeah. when you withdraw the money exactly mm-hmm. so um they will you'll have to pay taxes eventually mm-hmm. but having that tax deferred growth along the way just allows your money to grow that much faster it's and like, yeah. the argument for doing a pre-tax retirement plan and the whole reason why they were created in the first place is for higher income while you're working not as much income needed in retirement to mm-hmm. support your lifestyle so let's defer our income they're called tax deferred accounts let's defer our taxes Mm -hmm. Um, from when we're working and in high tax brackets, defer that into retirement when we're potentially in a lower tax bracket and we pay the taxes in retirement instead of while we're working. So um, it's a potential way to, to in the long run, save on taxes if, in fact, your tax rate in retirement is lower than when you're working. But as we discussed earlier, that could differ from year to year depending on who's in (laughs) office and what tax rates look like. Even in retirement, living on less income, there's a chance your tax bill could be higher than it is when you're at your peak earning years depending on how the the tax rates are are implemented. So it is important just to have, like, if you can do a Roth IRA, that's great. 
because you're giving yourself a little bit of flexibility with those taxes. You have some money that you know you can withdraw without having to pay taxes. Um, and then the other thing is that if we give you a 20% goal for your savings and you max out your employer contributions at $19,000 a year, or your employee plan contributions, and then you have a $6,000 you can put into an IRA, that's $25,000 total. And for some, that might not be enough to hit that goal. Even if you're if you're married you, and your spouse has an employer retirement plan, there's yeah. 50,000 combined. Mm-hmm. You know, which still not may still not be 20% of income. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be um, what is that? 250,000, right? Mm-hmm. So if if yeah. you're earning a household income above 250, you need to save more than 50,000 a year to hit that 20% goal. Right. So where do we go next? Yeah. So there are other accounts like non-qualified accounts, non-retirement accounts, brokerage accounts. They're called a lot of different things, but they're basically all the same thing. And it's just a general investment account. The cool thing about those accounts is that they're very flexible in the amount that you can put into them, the timing of when you put money into them. There's no contribution limits. There's no like yearly goal that you're hitting for. It's the catch-all bucket. You can also access it before age 59 and a half without paying any sort of penalty taxes. Unlike the retirement plans that we yes, just talked about. Right. So with retirement plans, you have to wait until a certain age before you can get to that money unless you want to pay penalty taxes. But with these ones, they're just kind of that catch-all bucket. They're the, you can put more into them. You can save more. Um, but the, there's not the same tax advantages. So every account has kind of its positives and negatives. And with this one, you still have to pay capital gains taxes along the way, so you don't get that tax-deferred growth. Um, but, I mean, capital gains taxes, are it kind of depends on, on how long you hold investments. But generally, or at least right now, they're a little bit less than ordinary income taxes. But just know that they're, you're kind of probably going to get like a 1099 statement each, each year. You're probably going to have to pay a little bit in taxes each year. And I view but, that as a good thing. If you're paying capital gains money. taxes, it, it means <laughs> your yeah your investments are making you money. So yeah. it's it's similar to income taxes. When you earn income, you you pay taxes on your income. Everyone gets it, gets the idea, and understands it and accepts it. They may not like it, but they get it. Mm-hmm. Well, if your investments make you money, you have to pay taxes on your investment earnings, and that's where the capital gains tax comes into play. So it's a good thing if mm-hmm. you're paying capital gains taxes, um, uh, you know, potentially every year. It means your investments are making you money, so it's we can't complain too much about that. But it is something that we have to navigate and and, and plan around. It. And there's there's definitely more tax efficient ways to invest in those accounts to try and minimize the unnecessary capital gains taxes that could be triggered from buying or selling positions. But we won't get into that today. Um, but just know there may be taxes in that account, and uh, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think by doing those three things, that's enough for most people. You know, you you max out your employer plans, you fund your IRAs, you put a little bit extra into a brokerage account, and you just try to hit that 20% goal. You try to do it for maybe 25 years or so. And along the way, if you feel like, oh, well, you run some protections, retirement looks rosy, and you've saved too much money, like, that's a good problem to have. (laughs) You know, retire sooner, maybe cut back your savings a little bit, and you but it's a good to get started early, make it happen, get in that good habit, and give your investments time to grow. Like that's a very important part of this is just giving your investments enough time to get that those returns because 
obviously the longer that you have to be invested, the the less volatile it is over a long period of time and also just the more opportunities you have. Yeah, compound growth. Um, I think, what was it, Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. So if you can get on the, the correct side of it and let it work for you, mm-hmm. it can really take off. It takes a while to start realizing it. You know, you're saving away, saving away, saving away. And the first decade or so, the majority of your account balance is going to be money you deposited into it. But mm-hmm. fast forward a little bit, you know, 20 years into your career, you know, towards the end of it, the majority of your account balance will probably be from investment earnings versus contributions. So mm-hmm. take some time to, to get the, the train rolling, but once it's rolling, it, it's hard to stop. Mm-hmm. So, um, now, the, what we just talked about, IRAs, 401k, 403bs, and then brokerage account, simple, easy. It's, you know, for most people, it's mm-hmm. great because it, it, they don't have to think much about it. It's a three bucket or a three account approach to retirement savings and mm-hmm. it's all done. But some people want more than that. They want to, you know, diversify even further, maybe invest in real estate properties yep. or some other businesses and that's yep. all fine and dandy. Um, you know, whatever works for you. There's no one size fits all approach. And um, as we mentioned earlier, case by case basis for everyone, everyone's goals and dreams and desires are different. So mm-hmm. whatever works for you, um, with some of the more alternative investments, you know, I guess we would categorize those as well thought out, well planned uh, investments that we you know anticipate similar um, growth potential and then similar risk profiles as, as your typical stock and bond allocation. But uh, and then there's the more speculative ones where you're throwing money at, at some random business venture that your friend might be starting, and there's a good chance that you won't see a dime back, but <laughs> it could if if it does well produce a great return. So um, we want to be careful with those speculative investments and and considering that part of our 20% savings goal because you know if you're if you're acting like a venture capitalist it, it may not pan out. You know you got to make a lot of those to, to really see one yeah. pop. So um, but uh, but yeah you know diversify across whatever investments you feel comfortable uh, doing and each one has its pros and cons and um, different levels of attention and due diligence required and risks associated with them. But um, I think the the bottom line, as long as we're investing at least 20% of our income into reasonable investments earmarked for retirement mm-hmm. and we don't touch them until retirement, yeah. You know, a lot, some people will, will put money into a brokerage account and they'll say, yeah, I'm saving 20%. But then, you know, five years later, they pull it out to do a kitchen remodel and then, mm-hmm. you know, they rebuild it back up and then they pull it out for a home down payment on the next house. Or, yeah. you know, it's, it's not actually staying. It's not retirement savings if you do that. <laughs> retirement. So the key is to our retirement money that's earmarked for retirement is set aside for retirement and we don't access it until we're officially yeah. retired. And I guess a lot of what we've talked about so far today has been for W-2 employees, mm-hmm. people who have an employer yep. that is helping by setting up plans mm-hmm. and you have a 401k or you have a 403b available to you. But for some people, that's not necessarily going to be the case. You're self-employed. You're self-employed. Locums. Yeah. Or, yeah. You maybe work for a super small practice that doesn't have something set up yet. you own your own practice. Or you own your own practice. So there are a couple of other qualified retirement plans with those same tax advantages that you can set up, even if you don't have an employer. You want to talk a little bit like more about You can about... set up a 401k if you're self-employed. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, from a retirement savings standpoint, 
it's pretty neat for self-employed professionals because you've got a little bit more flexibility and control and can actually invest more, more. Mm-hmm. into those tax into a tax advantaged account than a typical W-2 salaried employee. Like the we talked about the limit you can put into a 401k or 403b is mm-hmm. 19,000 this year in 2019. Well, the IRS limit is 56,000. So right. up to 56,000 a year can go into a 401k. Only 19 can come from the employee. The rest has to come from the employer. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're self-employed, you're both the employee and the employer. Mm-hmm. So you could put all 56000 in if you want on a tax-advantaged basis, um, which is fantastic if we're trying to save a lot for retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, and similar with a SEP IRA. Um, you know, there's some nuances between the two, but you know, there's there's a couple different options for you to, to potentially put up to fifty six thousand a year away, um, tax deferred if you wanted to, uh, for retirement. And then beyond that, if we're really you know making a decent income and, and wanting to uh, put money away, defer taxes, etc., you could look at cash balance pension plans um, and set those up and, and put even more money away on a, on a tax advantaged basis. Yeah. So there's definitely some options out there for those of you who are self-employed again, case by case with everyone, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no one size fits all approach. Um, but, but you're not, uh, uh, if you go the self-employed route, there, you're not without options. Yes. We yeah. have some options for retirement savings. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the same guidelines still hold true. We want to try and save at least 20% of our income for retirement mm-hmm. in most cases. And depending on what our goals are, there may be different ways to go about it. Um, but we still need to save. It doesn't matter what our employment status is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we should probably talk about what the goal is here. Because you can talk forever about mm-hmm. what you should do. But I think, very importantly, we should talk about why because that's what yes. motivates you. That's what motivates me. Why are we saving for yeah. retirement? <laughs> this arbitrary, mythical retirement we right. speak of. Yeah, but I mean, you want to retire at a reasonable age. You want to get there. You want to be able to do it. And you want to be able to do it without having to reduce your quality of life. And, and do I it think on your terms, too. It's so important. Like We don't want people to have to retire and then all of a sudden cut back because Mm -hmm. their money is not going to last them long enough. And for people who are young and saving right now, it's not going to look the same way that it looked for our parents. Mm -hmm. Like our parents, a lot of them were able to save some into an employer plan and then rely on Social Security to provide the rest. Mm -hmm. And we just don't know what that's going to look like long term. And we can't be as reliant on things like that. And we need to take more control of it ourselves. Like there's a lot of things that we can't control in this picture, but the things that we can control are how much we're saving, when we retire, and how much we live on in retirement. So try to do as much work as you can with those things that you can control so that we can achieve those goals that we want to achieve. Maybe retire at age 60, maybe take an international vacation two times a year like you can make things happen yeah i think the goals and the vision the why is big so i mean i guess for some people it works to just set money aside for retirement you're disciplined enough to do that but Mm -hmm. for others it's it's difficult because you don't really know what you're saving for so really sitting down and thinking what do i want retirement to look like do i want to quit at 60 and then go play golf every day mm-hmm. and you know live the the stereotypical retirement that not many people actually live 
But um, if that's you, then great. Uh, other people might want to transition out of their typical you know, job in medicine and maybe go volunteer or work for yeah. some world health uh, nonprofit and, and serve uh, people in, in third world countries and provide health services yeah. there. But you know, you're still kind of working, but it's on your own terms and, and you're not dependent on the income to do it. You're doing something you love and want to do um, because income, uh, you've saved enough to where you can support your lifestyle without that income or on a much lower income. Yeah, so it looks different for everybody. So yeah, think about what you want retirement to look like. Think about what your goals are. What's it going to take to be able to accomplish that and do that? And then that's that can help be that motivating factor to to setting money aside and achieving those goals and living that dream one day. Yeah. And if you're able to save 20%, that's probably enough to achieve most goals. But mm-hmm. if you have like some really, really high goals and you make a really high income and you want to retire at age 50, if you make enough, you can probably make that happen too. Yeah. So just... Yeah, set your goals accordingly. If you can dream it, you can do it. Just got to <laughs> have discipline to execute it. And it's like all of this that we talk about, it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are if you are comfortable with the amount that you're saving and it's easy to do, you're probably not saving enough. You know, it's <laughs> going to be a little uncomfortable to save enough to reach those future goals. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, if you're going to be able to maintain that same lifestyle, it's it's going to take some sacrifices today so that you can be able to continue living that lifestyle in the future. So that's a good, I guess, a, a good general rule as well. If mm-hmm. if uh, if it's easy, you're not doing it right. So. <laughs> awesome. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like people can definitely do it. They just mm-hmm. need the motivation. And yeah, and there's a few tips there for how to implement it. Yeah. I think this is probably a good stopping point. Yeah, so. if anyone ever has questions, and you guys know how to reach us. But have a great day. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on LinkedIn as well. Check out all the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our blog, thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Affinity Group, LLC.